Hey everybody, welcome to the Cast. This is the podcast we talk to people for and or from the Midwest, and we are powered by Everlight Solar. Hey guys, how we doing? Welcome to the Cast this week. My guest is the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000, Joel Hodgson. Uh, Joel is sort of uh, Midwest royalty. Uh, Mystery Science Theater is a for those of you who don't know, it's a show. It started off on local um, Minneapolis public television, and it's you, you got a B movie playing, and you've got people riffing on it. And you've probably seen it around streaming over the years, but it's an incredible show, an incredible property. It's such an honor to talk to Joel and learn about his career. He was uh, by the age of twenty-four, he was in LA doing stand-up on Letterman, uh, SNL. Um, he was offered his own TV show, um, his own role on a TV sitcom and decided to give it all up and, and go back to the Midwest. And uh, as you'll hear, he just started playing with uh, uh, robots and toys and, and, you know, every step of his life, though in the moment may seemingly have felt bizarre, it all led to a really cool, cool creation. So it was a real pleasure to talk with Joel. And uh, I met Joel actually at Joey's Song, where I met a bunch of guests on the show. Joey's Song, again, a, a benefit for uh, children with epilepsy. Uh, we, we do it every year. So um, beyond that, uh, really excited to talk with Joel, and we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, guys, I am on tour. Uh, if you want to come see me in Denver, uh, Greeley. Oh, Dem De Denver is sold out. Uh, but Davenport, Iowa, Sioux City. Charleston and Durham, North Carolina. Those are all shows that are coming up. Uh, I'm also going to be in Florida soon, uh, Los Angeles. And yeah, I get around. So there you have it, folks. I'll see you on the road. And folks, also, uh, we've got a bunch of merch up at cripescast.com. Just click on the merch section. We've got Midwest shirts for maybe uh, your special someone this Valentine's Day. Uh, we've got 15% off, in fact. If you're looking to get someone like a watch out for deer shirt, because best way to say I love you in the Midwest, cards, bottle openers, koozies, whatever, get it over there, folks, cripescast.com. And uh, also, and maybe you want to get someone, you know, nothing says I love you like a subscription to the uh, Patreon channel. Charlie Barron's or patreon.com slash Charlie Barron's. You can get it all for just five bucks a month. And, uh, you know, it's less than the cost of a dozen roses. And let me tell you, it gives you about the same joy as a dozen roses, too. OK, but every single day, every single week, we put up uh, new behind the scenes clips and uh, extended cuts. First look at ticket sales. You can find that over patreon.com slash Charlie Barons. Uh, all right, folks. And and. And also, uh, and also, before we get to the podcast, we are um, continuing to raise money for Doctors Without Borders. They are uh, helping with the incredibly tragic situation that just continues somehow, continues to get more and more tragic in, um, uh, in Gaza. So Doctors Without Borders is doing everything they can. They are sending uh, doctors, they are sending supplies, they are um, you know, trying to get food there, all, all sorts of things. And so best way to support that cause uh, that we found, Doctors Without Borders, uh, check them out and donate um, 
donate today. Uh, all right. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we will get to my conversation with mystery science theater creator, Joel Hodgson. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Where are you, man? Where are you? Where do you reside? Do you live, live in Milwaukee? Yeah. My mom's from Milwaukee. They were the, I think it was the Cardinals, whatever that was, East. I don't know if that still exists anymore. The Cardinals East. All I remember is the yearbook said the Cardinals. <laughs> Trying to think who is the Cardinals. I don't know, but it was a city, you know, in the city, totally a city. Oh, there it was, was a city school. Yeah. There was Pulaski too. Pulaski. Yeah. So Pulaski, that's the, uh, that's over on 70. Uh, 70, 76. It's over by uh, Gillies. Did you know Dan Harmon's from Milwaukee? You know, I did. I did because of a fellow named Rolly Cafaro. Do you know a guy named Rolly Cafaro at all? He's an improv guy and he used to work with Dan Harmon. Oh. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. That, do you know Dan at all? Yeah, for sure. I know um, him pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, because you guys probably were in the same circles for quite a bit did you meet when you went out to la or did you, you meet? those guys are younger than me him and rob schraub and those guys are younger than me i was done with the, my first run at mystery science theater when i met those guys and they were just coming out they just came out to la so after mst i moved out to la and they were they had moved out so um, they were just really just starting out. They didn't have, they were just, they had a, um, they had a, um, they had an improv group called the dead alewives. Remember, you know, yeah. You ever heard that? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great name, man. Cause, yeah. um, yeah, anyone in the Midwest or around the great lakes knows that smell. You yeah. know, when the, when the alewives have their mass extinctions, we actually had a fellow named Dan Egan on who all his, our conversation was about the Great Lakes and the um, sort of, you know, mass die-offs of the alewives and why it happens and zebra mussels and all this and that. That's a wow. great name, man. I know, right? Super cool. So when you met um, Dan, did you know that, or did you have a feeling that sort of he was going to be uh, set up for the kind of success that he has had or were you like well who knows? well they it's funny um it's really funny because we used um we used Schraub on as a writer he was a remote writer on mystery science theater and it was just based on the strength of his like submission we had a few outside writers and I think Harmon worked on a couple, but it was uncredited. So Schraub and Harmon wrote a wrote on MST. And and so that I ran into him at Comic-Con in in San Diego. They had a comic book uh, that um, it was Schraub's. Uh, what the hell was it called? Scud the Disposable Assassin, which is his his epic uh, comic book. And Dan had worked on it. And that's all they had done when I met them. And so they just, that was before commu community and everything. And so, but they were just both really super clever, really great guys. So we were just friends 
that was all before he became a superstar and Rick and Morty and all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny how you, uh, how Midwest people, um, go out to some place like Los Angeles and then somehow find each other, you know, it's kind of, it's a- really true. You, gra- you kind of gravitate towards those people. Same with the Minneapolis group. You know, I got, to, you know, you kind of hang, they, you know, they hang together. Right. And it's the same with any, it's the same with any city, right. If they're from Chicago, if they're from whatever, and they go to LA, they all kind of find each other. You know what I mean? They kind of hang out. So it's really funny the way that works. I was going to say about um, Wisconsin, when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody famous from Wisconsin. There was nobody that I knew of. There was no like Wikipedia. There's no IMDb. It's like, um, it would have been great if like, um, <laughs> who's the guy uh, Who's the guy from uh, Willy Wonka? Eugene Wilder, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice if they would have done like things like when the players do the ids during the packer game like wilder (laughs) willy wonka marquette university or something (laughs) like that right william defoe character actor madison like you know what i mean you didn't get that no they say their college or their hometown or something i didn't know anybody i didn't know anybody that was doing anything when i was in i i was I kind of grew up in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Do you know where that is? Yes. In fact, I recorded an album um, over the summer in Fort Atkinson, right oh, next really? to the ice cream place, that pink that, ice cream shop. What's the name of that place? Is it like the? Is it named after a fish? Was it a? Was it a studio or was it a live venue? Uh, it was a studio, and yeah, I, yeah and the name right now slips my mind which is Uh, not good but it's a it's a great studio have you been there recently oh yeah i go every year i drag my kids to fort atkinson and show them where i grew up and all that and uh it was um it was funny growing up there because um you know, when you're in Fort Atkinson, they don't call it Fort Atkinson. They call it Fort, right? You're in Fort. And it had such a strong brand identity. They built a freaking fort in the town. <laughs> it's like the symbol of the town is in the town. And when you're a little kid, you just go, oh, I got it. It's Fort. It's easy to remember, right? Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of Wisconsin cities like that. If you just go down the road to Lake Ripley, there's symbols like an umbrella, right? They paint the water tower like an umbrella. It's it's like they do all the work for you, so it's easy to remember. Next city's Cambridge. There's a bridge, so it's super simple. The Rock <laughs> River's got rocks in it, right? You go down the river, it's Black Hawk Island. There's hawks there. It all falls uh, apart, though, when you get to, like, Koshkanong. Like, what's a Koshkanong, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you go to Wisconsin Rapids, and you realize there's no rapids in Wisconsin Oh, right. Rapids, yeah, what's going know? on? What, where's <laughs> I, my rapids? Yeah, and Green Lake does not look green, yeah. you know? Spooner, like, wh- where's the big spoon? <laughs> right? Like, that, the big... Like the musky that's where's the musky for the Hayward, Hayward, right? Yeah. Like they should have a giant spoon in Spooner. Like it seems like a natural. It would be. You know what would happen though is that um, uh, Hayward would. Uh, what well, Spooner's got? Who's Spooner's big rival? 
<laughs> Rival in what? Like, like, like who writes? Yeah, have you? There's this one bridge that says Spooner blows, and that's their <laughs> whole thing. So I, I forget. I should know this. I, it's not Hayward, but anyway, is it they, Barron? Is it up there near Barron? I think that we're talking Northeast Wisconsin now, right? Spooner is up there, isn't yeah. it? Or where is Spooner? Yeah, um, it, it's a little. It's a scotch. Um, uh, hang on. Yeah, like over here, I think. I'm uh, I mean, I've I've been there and I've gone um, through it. I've just been a bunch of Spooner. places. Spooner but anyway, blows. Spooner <laughs> blows. They just put like a big fan next to the spoon. You know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there, there's fun stuff. Sock there. City, man. Why not a sock there? A big sock. You, you know what? There, there it is. There it is. These and people are missing out on this, you know, just that branding. <laughs> we were in uh, Brainerd and they had uh, this big old Brainerd, Minnesota, and they had this yeah. big old uh, uh, water tower there that they call it uh, Paul Bunyan's uh, flashlight. Did you ever go to the Paul Bunyan amusement park up there back in the day? No, I didn't. Did you go to the Paul Bunyan amusement park? Sure, and it was electrifying because you know the deal is they'd canvas your names as you went in. You didn't know. Your parents said, it's Jimmy Joel and Julie Hodson from Fort Atkinson. And then you walk in and freaking Paul Bunyan goes... And a welcome to Jimmy Joel and Julie Hodson from Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And it was like from a, it was part it was like a waking dream, right? This giant thing was talking to you. And I think they I they moved it. I think it's been moved, but you used to be able to see it from the highway. I don't know uh, if it's running anymore. Man, that I just got to say is a lot of pressure for that Paul Bunyan to actually get these names pronounced cor correctly. Yeah. He's got some he, wild... And if you're a kid and he gets it wrong, you just got to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> I you know, just, it's, it's, I'll go. I'll walk forward. It's like, like the Wizard of Oz kind of like, come forward, yeah. man. You know? And people just adapt the name that Paul Bunyan pronounces it as. It's kind it's of like our us. name now. Yeah. This is who we are. <laughs> it's we like Alice it. Island, you know? If they yeah, screwed yeah, up at Alice, it, yeah, Paul Bunyan Hodgeson, messed it up. We're Hodgesons now. <laughs> what uh, about Baron? What do they go? How do they go wrong with Baron? When they well, so uh, I think they've done a few different versions. So um, technically, Barons, and then I think there was an H in it, and then. Um, I don't know because there's there's not a ton of different Baron spellings, but like you know they've there was an H situation somewhere, but I think if you go back far enough, you can find it your name spelled. And also, there was no spell check back then, so it was probably just you don't know if it was the <clears throat> original way or just a misspelling. And does it really matter? What's you know? the what are the countries of origin of <clears throat> the Baron family? Like, who are they? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Are German, you, you know. All the um, white places, right? Yeah, this is a hodgepodge right here, yeah. of white places. Yeah, nothing really exciting going on. Uh, although I will say that my great, great, <clears throat> potentially great 
one, two to three great uncle, Ed Bernard, invented the ice cream sundae in Two Rivers, Wisconsin, right up there in Trivers. <laughs> True story. True story, that, according to my a, grandma. What a happy day that must have been. It was a happy day until uh, there was a place in, I believe, Rochester, New York. No, um, what's the place in New York that has the first letter that starts with an I? Uh, Iliad, I think. Iliad, yeah. It's Iliad, New York or something. Oh, they t- they took the... Uh, sure. They t- the title for the first ever ice cream sundae. It's since been hotly disputed between uh, Two Rivers and I believe it's Iliad. Um, and there's no defining um, thing saying it's from Wisconsin, except if you ask me, <clears throat> I'll say it's for sure from Wisconsin. But it's not like that. It's not like there was generational wealth from the invention of the ice cream sundae because... <laughs> I think if That's if he's awesome. in my family, he probably had a gambling uh, uh, love for man. gambling too. There's um, a lot of a lot of skeletons in the closet, man. I know, especially when you go back that far. Yeah, you know? oh, sure, man. Like um, they they were, they were doing some wild stuff back. I know the my great great my great grandfather was in Toma, and he was the he was the guy who built the caskets. He had a furniture store. And he built the caskets, but he was also the fiddler in town. He's an Irish guy. And um, he so he'd play the funerals, he'd play the weddings, and he'd make out with the um with the widows. <laughs> you know? Scamming <laughs> on the yeah. I think they got the first divorce in Wisconsin. Congratulations. Nope. Yeah. Again, You're- no generational wealth from that either. Yeah. <laughs> there's no caskets there's no um i mean the furniture guy it makes sense that the furniture guy would also make the caskets but you then know, the thing thing he's like he's double booking because he sells a casket and he says you're gonna need music you know he, he's probably triple booking you know he and makes then, a, a sells a, a chair for someone and he's like ah you know i'll be buying this back shortly you know and yeah, I made your cradle, and now yeah. <laughs> here comes the casket. Cradle to the grave, just like yep. that. That's a that's quite the business. You don't get a whole lot of furniture making, uh, furniture coffin making fiddle players anymore, which is oh, for sure. It was really sobering when Grandma when it kind of came out because I always thought, you know, we were very, uh, you know truly born again family my grandpa was a minister and then it comes out that great grandpa was just off the rails wow i mean good for him you know for living life to the fullest and uh you know you can see kind of the reaction that was that was your grandfather's rebellion against his father was being born again he saw yeah. the damage that was caused with it's true. We and and I'm I'm grateful he got into the church. He was a great guy and he, you know, I have no complaints about it at all. I had a great childhood and I don't have any issues with it. Do you grow up but religious? It, what's that? Do you grow up religious yourself? Hmm. Yeah, we went to Faith Community Church in Fort Atkinson, which is like a mega church now. 
it was just now that i mean i haven't been there since i was a kid and uh man the church we went to in green bay uh green bay community church is a mega church too now so yeah we were there when we were at the church in green bay when there were like eight families that started that church oh, and now really? it's got a thousand people in green bay yeah, those churches we get big there. quick, man. Yeah. The church <clears throat> where I kind of started to get my chops, though, because it's like I was a ventriloquist when I was a kid and um, did magic. You know, I started out doing magic like in about fourth grade. And lots of places to work, like banquets and all kinds of stuff. So I really got it was cool. It was great. There was lots of places that wanted entertainment, you know. That's really cool. I was going to ask like where sort of the creative spark started with you. Yeah. Um, strangely enough, my dad was really creative. Um, his mom was, uh, was the one whose dad was the, uh, philandering, uh, furniture maker. <laughs> and, um, and he was very creative too. I got to see him do really fun stuff. Like, um, he was the first guy I ever saw. I mean, in some ways he kind of like he would uh, he was a he was a principal. He was the principal of my grade school. I went to Rockwell High School, right? Rockwell Grade School in Fort Atkinson, and he was my principal. And and then later he worked for another like Purdy or Barry School in Fort Atkinson. And in the summertime, um, those guys, the teachers would do lawn maintenance and, and that's how they kept you know getting paid as they do lawn maintenance uh during the summer and my dad found this giant cabinet of um magic lantern slides like just slides of people in fields and on rivers and he used to do funny slideshows with them when i was growing up like he'd do wedding receptions and he was really funny and so he'd riff on these slides right and so I grew up watching that. It's not that different from MST, really. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So so he was very, he was really, I didn't realize it growing up. I just go, yeah, yeah, that's what your dad does. But he was very creative and did really cool, like interesting stuff. He was a teacher. So he a lot of the stuff he'd do was based on teaching. So, but he was really really engaged and creative so i grew up with that my mom they were do-it-yourselfers you know like you know they renovated their house and put up paneling you know there's a lot in the 60s and the 70s that's how everybody fixed up their places right oh sure yeah i just put some wood paneling over it yeah exactly so they were doing that like crazy and um and so I got into magic and I found out about it through the church. There was a guy in our church called Charlie Fairchild. He's, he was also the Santa Claus in Fort Atkinson. Oh, so, that Charlie. Yeah, he's a big, heavy guy. And yeah. he did magic. And I went up to him afterwards and I go, like, how do you get how do you get this stuff? And he told me, he goes, it's from a magic supply house. And I'm like, my mind's just reeling. And later I found out it was Abbott's magic, which was across the lake in, uh, in Colon, Michigan across. And so I started ordering magic from there and doing shows. So that's kind of how I got my chops. I did that through college. I did 
like opened for bands and did coffee shops, coffee houses. And then, um, and then the comedy thing started, stand-up started. That was right, right when cable was starting. So I, I was just in the right place at the right time. I, I, I headline, I did stand up my whole senior year of college and my thesis as stupid as it sounds, my, I was a communication major. So I did my thesis about, um, my standup and, um, and I, I headlined my senior, senior year of college at a place called the comedy gallery. So I did like six weeks of, you know, just, I don't know, it was like, you know, the usual bookings in clubs back then was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you do a, a sh sometimes do a show. Yeah, do a show on Sunday. And so I did that my senior year and I, I got my chops that way. And then after college, I moved to L.A. and like in a few months, I got on Letterman. And then a few months later, I got on Saturday Night Live and then I got on HBO's Young Comedian Special. So in the course of like three years, I'd done like five Letterman's and five Saturday Night Lives and was a club guy for three years before Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, I mean, that's that is a um, that's such a wild pathway, um, especially at a time when I mean, comedy, where was comedy in the um, sort of in the in the pop in pop culture? It was kind of just. Yeah. Maybe on a variety, you know, you get on a talk show, get on Carson, get on Letterman. Like I was, I remember being, I don't know, I must have been, I guess it was my senior year. I saw Letterman for the, was when he did his first, he used to do a daytime show, right? And then he moved to late night and I saw it and that's all I wanted was to get on Letterman. I thought it was so great. I liked him so much, but he was a Midwestern guy. He's from like Indianapolis or something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so I, that's all I wanted was to get on Letterman and all that other stuff just kind of came with it. Um, well, but, and then, then it happens. I mean, I, I'm, I kind of, even before we get to Letterman, like, um, like when you're in Minneapolis and you're just starting off, you're doing the clubs. I mean, that's a fast rise in a year in your senior year while you're doing school to go through school and then get enough reps to be headlining just in a year. I mean, did you feel as though you were on fast rise or did you feel you were a sort of a big fish in a small pond? Well, it was so early. Like, like I'll give you an example. Like, this is like uh, the club that I, one of the clubs I worked at was called the Comedy Cabaret. That's why I kind of started. Mm -hmm. And it was improv and stand up. So it's kind of a hybrid. And that and I fit in really good there because I just did props and bad magic and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it really suited me really good. There was a stand up club in town called Mickey Finn's. But those guys were just by the book, straight monologists. And they thought you were cheating if you brought props on stage. Like they didn't like me. Mm. And so I found a good place to reside. And then one of the guys split and he started his own club called the Comedy Gallery, a guy named Scott Hansen, who's really good stand up. And um, and so that it just kind of everything kind of went my way. But because I had been doing, I had basically been producing my own show since I was in fourth grade. 
it was easy for me to keep adding stuff. And once I started to get some some traction, it was just really easy. I just adding bits was very easy for me. And I was very, um, you know how it is when you just try to do comedy for real. Um, you got to treat it like it's your job. And you got all these friends who are working eight hours a day on something they don't care about. Right. And you got this great thing. And you just go, well, shit, I can work on this for eight hours a day. But, but a lot of times, comics aren't like that. They're just, they don't know how to control it. They don't have that journeyman work ethic. And they just kind of wait for inspiration. But I just said, Okay, this is my gig now. I'm going to spend eight hours a day. If I spend an hour or two in a club, if I like, let's say I, I was in LA and I'd work the comedy store every night. So that's two hours, but I had six hours to kind of prep and build stuff and write. So I just had, you know, when you come from the Midwest and you, you're not, you don't really believe you're a charmed being, you go, I can work <laughs> at this. I can get better. Right. And that so, that's yeah. what helped me a lot is just just that kind of I'm going to put the time in whether I'm inspired or not. I'm going to do this. And it really helped, you know, that's such a Midwest thing. Yeah. You grow up believing you're not a charmed being, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're so damn straight. You're not. Yeah. There's nothing special about you. Go mow mm. the freaking lawn. Hey folks, spring is just around the corner and it is the perfect time for your house to unthaw and get a quote from Everlight Solar. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that the Cast is presented and powered by Everlight Solar. That means there are solar panels right above my noggin this whole time. Go to everlightsolar.com to book your free consultation to see how solar power and solar energy can work for you. It's helping the earth. It's helping your wallet. Cut down your electricity bill and let the sun power it for you. And also, folks, Fleet Farm. Is there anything more romantic than taking your honey to the Fleet Farm on Valentine's Day? Absolutely not. Head on over to the Fleet Farm to get your special someone, a special something for Valentine's Day. They got candles, candies. They got clothes. Heck, they got flowers. I mean, they have dirt and they have seeds, but, you know, buy her flowers. It'll please her for a day, but put a garden in the backyard. It'll please her for a lifetime. That's some old proverb. Anyway, check it out at the Fleet Farm. And also, hey, Midwest merch, baby, for Valentine's Day, consider it. Go to mantwalkman.com and get your special someone a little gift off the website and you get it 15% off. And you don't need to tell them you bought it with a coupon. No, that'll be our little secret. So check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Cripescast.com. Click on the merch section. So you do all this stuff, though. Um, I mean, you've made it in terms of your own old standard, you know, by getting on Letterman. Um, and then what? where are you at for in... Uh, career standpoint are you oh. happy at this point that you had made it or did no, it feel no. no of course not. it was funny i got um so I, you know because i had done all these things i was i kind of had heat right i was like i was like this guy especially doing snl because they weren't using a lot of variety acts but it was at this critical time during snl when it wasn't that great it was kind of like um uh, 
I think Dick, I think Lauren Michaels had left and Dick Ebersol was running it, who was a guy from NBC Sports. So he didn't know a lot about comedy. Mm -hmm. No, so they booked me because it just was so inconsistent. And that's like the Joe Piscopo era, right? You know, and um, it just wasn't like, I think Eddie Murphy was in there too, but he was such a standout. But it was a tough time for SNL. And I remember um, Joe Piscopo came up to me. He said this really profound thing. He says, you're lucky. He goes, he goes, you get to do your own stuff. He goes, I have to go out and do this, whether it's funny or not. Like, I got to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was really important. It was really amazing lesson because it, it kind of kept me out of being uh, like I'd go out for auditions and stuff like um. The biggest the biggest show business story was Brandon Tartikoff, who was the head of NBC at the time. I think he there was a show called High School USA, which was like a Michael J. Fox vehicle, and they wanted me to do it. And this is when I was at Gersh. This was happening when I they were my agents and they they really wanted me. And I just, I knew this wasn't a good role for me. Like they were just putting me in as kind of a place marker. Like, uh -huh. oh, we know he's funny. Just put him in there. But it wasn't like based on me or anything. I'm not, I wasn't an actor. Like I could just do my persona and do my bit, but I, I didn't have that flexibility. And, um, they really wanted me to do it. And they, it was an on-air commitment for six episodes. And this is a long time ago. So it's 10 grand a show. And I said, no, and they doubled it. So it's $20,000 a show for six shows. And I just said, no, I said, I don't think I really like, I really like what I've done. And I don't think I'll come out looking good, even though I'll make a lot of, you know, a lot of money and, um, $1982 or $1984, you know, I'll make a lot of money, but I just didn't want to do it. It just felt like that compromise that makes, but like back then when you screw up, like I always felt like I just lose my audience. You know how it is. You, it's like jumping the shark, right? Yeah. 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 Or it's like, I was really self-conscious about that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to let the people down that like what I do and I'm one of them. So I don't want to do this. So I passed on it and that was kind of the end of it. Like I just said, I I just don't want to be on a sitcom. I, I, I was like 24 and I didn't think any of them were that great and yeah. didn't think I could win at it. So I went back to Minneapolis and uh, started over, you know, and I started, uh, designing toys and I worked, there's a bunch of toy, you know, Tonka was yeah. in Minneapolis. And so I fell in with these toy designers. I want to be a toy designer. And then, um, it was kind of like, it's so hard. There's so many prerequisites, the cost of the production of a toy, you know, is so nuts that it has to just find these margins. It's got to be fun. It's got to be cheap to produce. It's got to be fun to play with. I got one thing that got produced that got like they got it together for Toy Fair. It's it's like hanging on the wall in my kitchen. It's called the bubble fan. I took a fan and drilled hole. It was one of those section fans and I drilled holes in it and I put in bubble soap and you open it up and it just makes like a, a ton of bubbles, right? It just like 
blows bubbles everywhere. So that's like the closest I got. And it was just like, oh, so hard. Comedy was like way easier. And so I started to kind of go, maybe I should do a show. And um, along this time, I was um, I had I was friends with Jerry Seinfeld and Seinfeld was he asked me to help him write his first HBO special. And so but it wasn't really his stand up. I did do a few things that he ended ended up being in his stand up, but um, mostly it was to write the um, the host segments, the wraparounds. So we worked on that, and that was like a great experience. And he he kind of had this like great attitude. I mean, you kind of as you know him, what you see is what you get. He's this really kind of happy. He's he's kind of like jo- kind of joyful and just has a lot of fun. He had a great attitude, but he also worked at it like me, and so that really was fun for me to do that. And um, that was kind of got me going. You know what? I I probably should go back and try to do TV somehow. And um, so you I, became you became. Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I just want to take a beat and just say. Like, it's a crazy, interesting thing to start in comedy in Minneapolis, get to the point of headlining, go out to L.A., make it, uh, turn down a what must have been a life-changing financial offer for you in addition to probably a huge career opportunity. But you turn it down on the principle of it because you didn't like TV (laughs) or the, the TV shows on at the time. It's really no, you can, and then you make a toy for Tonka. I mean, you can see all the pieces of MST3K yeah, being put coming. together. It's yeah. all coming, right? <laughs> yeah. and, right, exactly. And also I did ventriloquism too, which is a big right, thing. Right, right. Ventriloquist. So that all plays into it. And then, so I'm thinking to myself going, oh, this is cool, like, Seinfeld likes my stuff. Like we get along. It was fun. We had a great time making his special. And um, and it was kind of like uh I said, Oh, cool. I know what I'm gonna do. I want to write a science fiction comedy for Seinfeld. <laughs> and so I started to write it and I did drawings of it. And the next time we hung out, I showed it to him. And and he looks at and this is profound. He looks at me. He goes, Joel, this isn't a show for me. This is a show for you. And I just <laughs> went, oh yeah, I'm trying to like trying to get off camera and be like a writer producer. And this guy says, it, you can't. You're not getting out. You're not getting out of it. You're gonna <laughs> stay in it. So I started thinking about it and. And it kind of was the beginning of MST, but really MST has some some various things that kind of dropped on me that kind of said, oh, this would be a good show. So there's a couple of beats to that that I can kind of explain, but it's not super. It wasn't like Seinfeld said, here, you do the show. And then I go, pow, here's Mystery Science Theater. I'd kind of like had pieces of it, but it kind of got me in the place like, you know what, I should front my own show. I'm the most famous guy in Minneapolis right now because I did Letterman and SNL. I could get a show. I could probably get a show made. I have a chance at it. 
And so what I got to the the kind of the origin story of MST is a couple of things, but one is in college there was um a thing called uh the Turkey Awards that was the Mike the Medved brothers wrote this. It was like a satire of the Academy Awards, but it was with bad movies. So it was like Plan 9 from Outer Space and Freaks and Terror of Tiny Town, which was like a Western with an all little people cast. It was kind of like this really amazing book that had all these B movies that were outrageous. And I remember being in college and my roommate had this book and I loved it. And I said, why isn't anybody making a show with these movies? They're like adorable. These are fantastic. And Robot Monster and stuff like that. And then, um, and then um, the other thing, the, the other piece of this is when I was in high school in Ashwaubenon, and, and uh, it was like uh, it all happened at we were we were getting ready for homecoming, and we were at the Wilkinson's house, and you can see the stadium from Wilkinson's house. It's that close. It's like a a block from the stadium. And I grew up like five blocks from Kroll's. You know where Kroll's oh, was? sure. Right? Yeah. Like I'm right in that neighborhood. So we parked cars on our front lawn. That's how close we were, right? For, for Lambeau. For the folks. Yeah, for yep. Lambeau Field. And so we're at the Wilkinson's getting ready for the homecoming. Like we're working on the float. I think we're like twisting crepe paper. We made all those all our floats were made out of like chicken wire and then you'd stuff it with this paper and make a shape. And it was like, we're working on that. And somebody put on the Elton John goodbye yellow brick road album. And I'm looking at the liner notes and there's all these illustrations, but there's one illustration that's got, um, the song is called, I've seen that movie too. And it's a, it's these silhouettes, theater seats, with two people sitting there watching like a Clark Gable movie. And I'm looking at it going like, that would be a great show. That would be a great, uh, that would be a really funny show where you run a movie and have these people talk and like crack wise about the movie, but nobody's giving development deals to kids in Ashwaubenon at that time. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not happening. Yeah. So anyway, that dropped on me. The, the movies dropped on me and I said, I'm starting to notice cause a lot of these movies were in the public domain. So I figured I could do a show with public domain, bad movies and these theater seats. And then the last piece was one of the things I did after I quit comedy was I started making these robots out of found objects. This all came from my stand-up act because I used to go um, to like the St. Vincent de Paul store and the Goodwill and just dig through bins of, you know, toys. And I, I, a lot of my act was just made out of stuff like that. And I'd fabricate stuff out of, they called it brick brack. The bottom of this, the basement of the St. Vincent de Paul, de Paul store was, was tables and tables of brick brack, which was just Tupperware and Wawa pedals and yeah. all kinds of crap. And so, um, I, I it dawned on me one day. I think I saw a documentary about Star Wars, and they did this thing called kit bashing, where they made like the Millennium Falcon was just made out of a lot of other model parts that they collaged, 
And I started going, God, it'd be great to make puppets like that. It'd be great to collage these robots. So it was like the most instinctual thing I ever did was I just got, went down to there. I bought a shopping cart full of plastic shit for 10 bucks. <laughs> and I took a hot glue gun and I made this robot and shot it with paint. And I go, I think I just did something. <laughs> I just made something. And so I started selling those robots in a store called Props in Minneapolis. I sold like 70 of those robots. So really made 70 of them and got really good at it. And so that was the last piece I go, oh, the silhouettes are the the ro the robots. There's a guy and two robots, which kind of comes from ventriloquism, where if like you're a really hot shit ventriloquist, you can do two dummies, right? Yeah. Not, I might have to do the voices, but it was in silhouettes, so I didn't have to have good chops as a ventriloquist. But the original idea was I just thought it'd be me and doing the voices, but then the host segment became more and more important. I realized, oh, I should I should find people to run the puppets. But those are the beats that dropped on me. And, and then I go, okay, I got it. I think this is it. And um and so um, the last piece was meeting a guy in Minneapolis who did production. And that was a guy named Jim Mallon, who also famously is from Madison. He was um, he was with, uh, I think his name, Leon Varja. And they were the guys who did the pail and shovel committee at Madison. And they did the flamingos on the on the basketball steps and they did the statue of liberty on lake mendota oh so yeah i knew those guys they were famous because when i was in high school i heard about them and i ran for student government just being funny and i won just like did funny posters and i totally got ideas from them like some of their tricks and so jim i met jim in minneapolis and he uh was making a movie when I first met him. And then he wanted, to, he approached me about doing a, a thing like the gong show. He wanted to do a comedy contest. And after that meeting, I go, Oh dude, I know a guy in Minneapolis who has production. He's, he worked at this little UHF channel, um, KTMA. And he, um, he had gear and I, I go, I'm going to pitch him mystery science theater. I'm going to pitch him this show. And he liked it. And we made it. We, we did it locally. We did 20, 22 episodes locally and really figured it out then, you know what I mean? Really figured it out. So at the end we cut together an eight minute cell tape of our funniest riffs and then went the guy I worked with on the Seinfeld special the producer, man, I'm going to, Stu Smiley. So the producer of um, Seinfeld special was a guy named Stu Smiley, and he was the head of Comedy Comedy Channel, which became Comedy Central. Right, yeah. I went to him and I go, I got a show. And uh, we showed him the tape and we got booked for like 22 episodes and that was it. That's So, so that's, that's the story, man, in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, that <clears throat> it's funny to see because I think what's really cool about Mystery Science Theater is that it's it's sort of similar to the 
um, land media landscape today, or it, it was ahead of its time in that you could go out there and you could do the LA thing, or you could stay here and really build it and get your reps in and find the show in the Midwest, you know, and then when it's ready, take it out. Um, but you kind of built your thing here and you were able to do it uh, from here for quite some time, which I think is very cool, very ahead of its time. And um, there wasn't anything else like it, you know? I mean, you 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 kind of went to the, the what do you call it? The brick uh, thing? What, what, what was that? Brick buying? In the Whoa. basement of the Goodwill. Oh, brick brack, yeah, brick brack, yeah. You get you have this yeah. brick brack of experiences. Exactly, exactly. And then and then the other piece of it was um, the movie riffing. Of course, was so undeveloped because we did the pilot. We did a little proof of concept tape for to sell it, and it was like I don't know five minutes long. And my thing was really about the. The thing that, you know, you have the host segment, the doors open, you go down the doorway, and then you have the theater. It's kind of has this continuity. And that was just based on growing up watching movie shows and and somebody would kind of introduce a movie. And then the movie started and they never tell you, like, what was happening? Like, how did all this shit happen? Like, how did it get on my screen? It's so disruptive. Like, is he turning on a projector? Are we looking like they didn't do any explanation? You're just supposed to understand it. And so to me, the important part was it's in a ship. This is the front of the ship. You go down a hallway and then you're in the theater. And that's what the pilot was about. Well, I just put a few jokes in like I had one. It was uh, the green slime was the movie we used for the pilot. And uh, which is a super cool like. 60s like toho movie and um i had like a couple of jokes the biggest one was they said something like that's a meteor and i go that's not a meteor that's a battle station so i'm like riffing star wars right i just yeah. had a couple jokes to go oh this is where we put the jokes in and so once we did it locally that's when we could feel your way through it and start filling in more and more riffs right you just feel it right as you go yeah. and just kind of make it as you want that density and that kind of feeling of abundance right so that's kind of what happened in those 22 shows we did locally so we were so so then the other thing that was really lucky about the timing was mtv was really big and they were and cable was opening up and somebody said well, we should do this with comedy. We should do a channel where we show clips from new movies and TV shows. And so our show just happened to fit in that, but they want us to move to New York. And we just said, oh, we're not going to do that. Our set is like built four feet off the floor and we, you know, we can't go in and we're just not going to, we just said, no, it was too ridiculous. So we said, we got to stay in Minneapolis. Just send us the money and we'll send you a show. And it worked. So, oh, that's cool. They were hesitant, but our show was so cheap. It was like 35 grand a, a episode back then. So, it was really inexpensive, even by those back in those times, back in 1989, you know. And then you've had all these 
evolutions of the show over the years. Um, is there is there sort of like a sweet spot in time where you you like has it continued to go up for you, or is there like um, an era that you appreciate the best? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's. I mean, I like it all. Like, I like. Uh, you know, you can kind of see our growth, like the trajectory, like, for example, when we did it locally on UHF, I don't know, we might have done 70 riffs, maybe a show like just was by today's standard, very Spartan. When we went and did our first season, we went to 300 riffs. And then the next season, it was like 600. And so just it start and then it went up to seven it usually hangs around 700 riffs per movie mm-hmm. and that's kind of where it's remained since then so it we kind of got to that level and then i left the show because i was fighting you know jamel and i weren't getting along so i left the show and i was kind of set up to if it kept going i'd do okay because i created it and I like those shows just as much because those shows uh, that I didn't work on are completely a surprise to me when I watched them, you know, so I think they're really funny. And then um, about eight years ago, uh, I got in a position where I could bring it back. And so we did uh, Kickstarter and raised like $7 million and we were able to bring the show back and now it's on Netflix. So we got 20 episodes on Netflix and it's, um, it's really nice uh, to be able to just direct people. Oh, you want to see my show? It's on Netflix. And so those were that I like a lot because we were able to um, really bring in an all new cast, you know, new people. Um, And like Patton Oswalt is uh, the henchman of Felicia days, the the mad and uh jonah ray is the host and uh and and so those are the ones on on netflix and uh and then we did another fundraiser and we did our own streaming service for season 13 and so um you know that was also uh really a great adventure to get to even experiment with that because netflix didn't want to buy any more shows so we we created our own streaming service called the Gizmoplex and that's still running and it's, you can still go and check out the shows there, buy shows or get a membership. Yeah. It's, it's what's cool about um, mystery science theater is just the, um, the deep, deep fandom. Like I remember watching it with my brothers in our basement, you know, like all the time, you know, cause it was on, um, Actually, it was in my, it was when we were over at my Nana's uh, house because she had the cable. And um, so I think that's where, um, that's where it was. And then obviously once YouTube was there, you could just, you could watch a bunch of Yeah, yeah, it's still doing great on YouTube and it's streaming on streams. How many, like Pluto and a million, you know, it's kind of a joke how many other streaming, like 20 other streaming services. So it's really out there now and it's still doing good. I'm happy to report, you know, so it's kind of like, I think the Netflix thing made it really broad and brought in a lot, a whole new fan base. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and a lot of old timers too that were there back in the day when it was on you know cable so and the other thing is it it developed like um it kind of gave a lot of movies a second life because you were obviously using a lot of b movies a lot of movies that were sitting on the shelves in the public realm but they started to gain some popularity after your show. Yeah, too. like um, like uh, Manos the Hands of Fate is supposedly the new worst movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. So, and we found that. So there's things like that along the way that were super fun. And it is really weird looking at it over time because <clears throat> you can't pull a movie out of the show. It's kind of like the movie is so much a part of it and people are are... I think our most famous shows are the ones where the people really like the movie just as much. It's mm -hmm. not, not that we did especially great. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just the movie's so amazing and weird that people are fast, you know, fascinated. It's really, how did this get made before? How did this get made? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking back at, it right now what what would you say you're most proud of with mystery science theater oh man i i mean one of the things and i i think you get to enjoy this with the way with the stuff you do um i just we never got notes it was such a unique weird show that they never i mean when i was there we never got notes we never had someone tell us like this joke won't work and what are you doing? It was just, we did it. We, um, we were really monitoring ourselves and just doing what we thought was funny. And because it's a puppet show, we never got dirty or, you know, when I was there, it never got that Randy. And, um, and so I'm super proud of that. Just that you can express yourself you can be very direct. You don't need supervision from some right. some development person who's doing notes and flagging certain words and stuff. So I that was really it. And what you're looking at, man, is a totally creatively sated man. I'm satisfied. I feel like I got to do it. And getting to come back to it was and having it work so well with all new people and just filling the writers writers room with people like you that grew up watching it when they were kids. It's really fun. And um, my friend, Steve Higgins, who runs SNL, he's a producer on SNL. He has that same thing. He goes, yeah, it's really great when you have people who grew up watching your show and just want to participate with it. And yeah, you know, it's really out. Uh, it's really a lovely thing. So that's kind of my take on it. I'm very grateful and feeling like um, open. You know, now I'm like uh, the brand advisor for it. So I'm looking forward to whatever comes, but I'm I'm totally content with uh, all the things that we've gotten to do with it, too. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and like, what's um, what's sort of next for you then? Um, from a comedy perspective or is it kind of more in this realm of like you're very satisfied with what you've done and you're just you know whatever wanna, happens happens i want to do what every successful um you know entrepreneur does is i want to do a mystery science theater theater miniature golf in wisconsin <laughs> wisconsin dells 
That's that years reread in my mind, man. I would oh. land it in Wisconsin Dells and have a lot of fiberglass shit. Oh, dude. I I'd buy all that stuff. Buy all that stuff from Noah's Ark, man. Yeah. All that fiberglass <laughs> elephants and shit. You know they got some brick brack in the basement of Noah's oh, Ark. There's you a know lot. they do. Super huge brick brackets, my dream. You I'm Right now, I think they have a Pirates Cove miniature golf yeah, course. There. That's right. That's right. So you would have that competition, but I I feel as though uh, it would be safe to say you would blow Pirates Cove out of the water. I love that. I've been waiting to do that. Yeah, waiting yeah. to kind of teach those guys how to do mini golf. It's been <laughs> my dream. <laughs> I I hope that happens. <laughs> I if you do that, I will be there. Oh um, man, opening we'll, day. Work it out. we'll work it out. But uh, that's yeah. my dream, man. Land it somewhere, southern Wisconsin, you know, so you get that Chicago traffic, people looking to have, you know, head up into Wisconsin and have a vacation. Tommy yeah. Bartlett's is closed down. You could take over that. Hey, I mean, wouldn't that you could have, you could put robots on water skis. Yeah, you know, I had a real nightmarish experience in in uh, Tommy Bartlett's robot world because they kind of suggest that robots are going to take over and then you're alone in this place. Nobody's ever was ever in there. Is it still up? Are they Hold still on. Up? Tommy Bartlett's robot world is a place I have not been to. Oh, my God. I, I don't know if it's still running. I think I know that Tommy Bartlett's what was it called ski the sky, sky, sky and stage show yeah ski sky stage show is no more no it's it's, it's just waiting to get renovated man it is i mean it is sitting ip you know what hey Come on, throw in with me man okay. Come on. <laughs> let's merge uh, our fortunes together why don't you dig into the finances and i'm gonna see if i can all right all right we'll get it going and i'll come back i'll report back to you man <laughs> we'll see what happens that would be so cool though there i'll get is. it going yeah we'll find something to do all right man oh waiting Hey, this was super fun, dude. It really was. Hey, cool. I, I appreciate your work so much. I'm honored to be on your podcast. I, I'm a fan and I'm super proud of you. You're doing great. And it's real good stuff. I have so many friends and people that have found your stuff and love it. It's real great. Well, thanks, man. I mean, that's an honor to hear coming from you. I mean, me and my brothers, I told my brothers we were doing this. They were super pumped. And um, I it was just really exciting. It's exciting to, to right, talk you to let, you have Colleen, your stuff forever. Have Colleen call me if we get any investors uh, sending you anything. Yeah, no, let's, uh, Make let's put money it out. with mini golf. Make yeah. money with mini golf. If we can crowdfund that, you know, reach yep. out, guys. Reach out. Joel, thanks so much, man. I appreciate yeah. you. I'll yeah, let you know sure. when this is out. All right. All right. Jeez, man. Take it easy. Bye. We'll see you soon. Bye, Bye Colleen. Bye. All right, ladies and gents, that is it for my conversation with Joel Hodgson. Uh, you can find his stuff, joelhodgson.com. You can also go to youtube.com at MST3K, and you can watch episodes streaming on Netflix. Thank you all for listening to the Cast. Thanks to Kali Maraca and Hannah Milos. And uh, thanks to all of you. And make sure you watch out for deer. Okay, and have a have a wonderful Valentine's Day. All right, we'll see you soon. Bye bye. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. 
Life's got you down, just keep her moving. It's on Wisconsin, the Badgers say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. You know, sometimes when you're ice fishing, you put your foot into walleye hole and go ass over tea kettle and you think you're done? No, you gotta keep her moving. <laughs>